What's up, and welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast. My name is Rich Kleiman, and with me as always, my right-hand man, my man 50 Grand, my brother from another, all those sayings, Mr. Gianni Harrell. What's up, what's up? We're here, baby. We are here. You are calling live from your new home, too. You move-in day, right? Shout out. Newest resident in the West Village, you know what I'm saying? You might see me around. I already know. Best neighborhood in the city, in my mind. It's tight. I mean, I was in Little Italy before. It was cool being down there, but, you know, life's about change. You know what, though? Let me take that back for the record, because I'm a born and bred Upper West Sider. So the best neighborhood in the city, with the exception of the Upper West Side, because as I plot out my mayoral campaign, I cannot lose my my core back on the <laughs> you Upper West. you got to keep your core. Yep. Core. What's the word? Not core. What do they say? Keep your base. My base. Yeah. Both were good. Both were good. Um, great guest today, Bubba Wallace, man. Um, amazing dude. Amazing career. And just what he's had to endure the last few years and how he's handled himself amidst it all. Uh, he's got an incredible partnership with Michael Jordan. So, like, that's pretty dope. Yep. Michael Jordan's a, like kind of dude where, like, you could say to somebody, you just sold your company for a billion dollars. Or you could be like, yo... I just did something with MJ and they'd be like, tell me everything about MJ. <laughs> yeah, I was at sushi and there was these 17 year olds next to me debating that LeBron is better than MJ. And I'm like, I never even got to see Jordan growing up, but I still know that LeBron ain't better than Jordan. Yeah. You know what it is, though? So this is my feeling. There's like two ways of answering this question. Because I actually got in this fight with KD at his house the other day as it related to quarterbacks. And we were talking about Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning and quarterbacks as they stand in history. And then when you start to do that, it's like, well, how are you judging somebody's career? Because are you going to judge it on their body of work stat-wise, their championships, their resume, or that feeling like that you know that they elicit from you and from the culture or from sports historically and I think that there's a real argument especially from a 17 year old kid that grew up on LeBron that you could say LeBron's had the greatest career of any player that's ever played basketball and it probably will be accurate he's going to lead the NBA in scoring when he's done at 37 years old what he's doing on the basketball court is no different than what Tom Brady's been doing and we'll get to Tom Brady in a second but it's that thing that MJ elicits out of you that thing that happens when you watch him play or you watch his highlights or you were present when he hit a game-winning shot or your team lost to him in the playoffs or like when you your team would score to go up one and then the Bulls still had the ball with eight seconds left you already knew you lost it's that feeling and that to me is why MJ for people like us is still that dude you know and the greatest but yeah there's a real argument now. There really is a real, real argument when you look at his career stats. But, you know, it's like when people say that KD's the greatest scorer of all time, it's like they have to put him in that category. You know, it's like, what does that mean? That he doesn't get into the category of, like, greatest player. He's just greatest scorer. Or when someone says, like, Aaron Rodgers is, like, got the best. He's gunslinger. But, like, they don't want to call him a champion because only won one, right? So I think right. that at the end of the day, like – I think you do have to take career stats into account because that's what we've chosen to judge people by. But I don't think anybody for a lot of us will ever be able to replicate that feeling and that emotion that MJ brought out of you. Facts. You hit it on the nose. That's really what it is. And I think similarly, it's like Tom Brady 
who just retired yesterday, and even though they teased it over the weekend, it's good that he got to control his own narrative. I think that was honestly like a tipping point in the press breaking news because it's like if Tom Brady doesn't deserve and warrant his own time and space and platform to announce to his fans and his teammates and his friends all around the world, then who does, right? And and I think people didn't want to hear this from Adam Scheffler. Like you could see people didn't want to have the breaking news on this one. It's like, what is Tom saying? And I know he's pissed. I didn't speak to him, but I would imagine that even though he put the announcement out today, he's pissed because it's not how you want the end to your career to be. Somebody breaking the news on Saturday afternoon, the day before the championship game. So I think ultimately, you know, we'll be able to obviously celebrate this moment. Um, he's had the most historic career. It's like MJ and Derek Jeter together. It's like the clutch Jeter like moments that we love watching, that we all look to as a as a society. And then the consistency of like a LeBron and MJ, the it's all it's all just been absolutely incredible to watch. And to think that at one point in his career as a Giant fan, like and a lot of people did, they hated on him. I love this man, yo. I think honestly, like when you get older and you see some of the people that play for this long that you rely on and count on retire, that shit's depressing. <laughs> it really, Facts. He's it, the he, he's the best. But just from a fan perspective, I, I'm so bummed he didn't do like a farewell tour. I know. I know. But I think that like maybe that's uh, by design. Like, And then I think somebody told me the other day like he's guaranteed $15 million next week. Next week. And he can quit. Yeah. Like next week he's guaranteed $15 million And then apparently a part of it, not that he would ever do this, but he could get the 15 and then quit midseason if he wanted to. Well, yeah, because there's like triggers like if you're on the roster by March 1st if you make this roster and that's how they like circumvent the salary cap at times with these incentive bonuses but yeah I mean I doubt Tom's gonna take that (laughs) (laughs) squeeze him on the way out a bit right he deserves it though because he definitely took less money in New England for a while Mm -hmm. you could tell from his statement he didn't want to quit but that's the beauty of it like to go out with the season he just had and to acknowledge like that this one was about his family and he couldn't compete the same mindset that he needs you to be Tom Brady and like once you hear that from the goat you understand it's it's like I think the effects of his career will be felt even more in the future we really just took for granted what this man did I set 10 Super Bowls seven wins my god insane more Super Bowls than any other team insane well speaking of Super Bowls totally has nothing to do with Super Bowls but Rihanna's pregnant how dope is that (laughs) <laughs> so dope so dope I'm like they gonna have a little fresh harlem harlem bar- barbadian baby their baby's gonna come out photo shoot fresh like right out so the fresh gonna come out wearing the fenty with some like gucci yep. on it's gonna be so lit they're gonna have some like balmain diaper like see-through diaper <laughs> what's that definitely it's definitely gonna have a crazy name what do you think I can't even begin to imagine. It's going to be like. It's got to be ASAP something, right? <laughs> That's what I was saying. It's got The kid has got to be ASAP something. ASAP number one. Or ASAP Fenty. ASAP yeah. Fenty is a dope name for the ASAP baby. ASAP Fenty. Yo, should we use that as the quote for our pod? ASAP Fenty. There it is. Rihanna, there it is. Rihanna's that's, to, that's be, our guest. to be named baby. Um, all right, bro. Well. Enjoy the rest of your move-in day. Probably one of the most stressful things a human being can do. 
Appreciate you, my brother. It really is hell. You have to change all your mailing statements and everything. Absolutely. Wi-Fi, the Con Edison moving, paying maids, bananas. Paying maids. That's not a bill. That's your own choice, bro. That's how I choose. <laughs> I'm just playing. Oh. <laughs> nah. Um, all right, bro. Well, good luck with your move. I hope you enjoy. You didn't even you didn't even hear this amazing convo yet with Bubba. So why don't you listen in like our subscribers? Uh, log on to your favorite website and mine, Weed Maps. Get yourself some product and listen in. This is an incredible pod. Me, Bubba Wallace. Download, subscribe. Oh wait, time out. Weren't you on quarantine during this? Man, yes. This was when I had the the vid, brother. I had the vid. I was down. No video. Not that I. I just was in that like bunker, the COVID bunker, when your room starts yep. looking wild. You feel me? I feel you. All right, bro. Well, buckle up. Good interview here. Enjoy. Download. Subscribe. Boardroom.tv. Peace, y'all. Peace. How you doing, brother? Thank you. Um, really excited to have you on. I told you before we started that I'm in the final stages of my my COVID quarantine. Not too bad, but what I did get out of it was like I consumed more content than I ever have in my life. And I just went 10 straight episodes or nine straight episodes of Man in the Arena into your doc. So like I've never been more motivated and inspired by my in my life by you and Tom Brady. Um, but I learned a lot about you. I knew about you as a sports fan and somebody that loves the way you obviously have moved and handled yourself. But I really did get to learn a lot about kind of your arc. And it was great kind of content for me to see going into this interview because I didn't know so much. So a lot of times every entrepreneur or business leader or, or athlete we've spoken to, I, I'm really like quite fascinated by that moment, that inflection point. Um, or just that moment of awareness as a kid. I mean, KD can like clearly reference it at eight years old where he was just like, you know what? I don't want like this ball to leave my hands. Like I, this is what I want to do. I saw in, in, in your film, they asked you like, did you know you loved racing as soon as you sat in the car? And you were like, I don't even know if I love it now. I just had so much fun in it. What was yeah. that feeling like? Because we all go-kart when we were seven and eight years old. But yeah. what did you feel when you sat in that car? Um, just the, the, the sense of adrenaline really, um, you know, it was, it was such a learning curve and just being able to go out with my dad and Chris, the guys who got us started and just go out and drive around in, in, in the ovals. We just not circles, circles. You gotta, you gotta go straight on our tracks. So <laughs> um, but it's just the, the thrill of that, you know, figuring out how to be better. Our first race was a national event, the biggest, biggest stage at that. In that series, you know, we went down in Florida and raced. And, you know, I, I finished last, wrecked the cart and whatever, but it was something about it that was like, man, that was fun. Let's, let's keep, keep doing it. Um, not knowing that it would become part of a ladder system. Um, yeah. You know, we felt like we were pretty accomplished on that first rung. It was time to go to the second one. And it was just a step and repeat. And yeah. the next thing you know, you're, you're here at the cup level and it's like, well, Dang, I didn't really see that. You know, I didn't really yeah. 
have that in mind, but it just kind of all happened. And, you know, for me, it was always about making the most of every opportunity. Uh, I, I just jumped off an interview um, and talking about the sacrifices you made when you were a kid, um, you know, missing out on school events, missing out on high school parties or whatnot. I remember vaguely on the way to a racetrack being like, dad, I don't want to go. I want to go to my friend's party. And my dad would be like, no, we're going to race. Yeah. And you sit there, you're mad, but then you get to the track and you, that party is not even in your mind because it's like, okay, we got practice now. And yeah. you jump in and you, you, you try to be as aggressive as you could. And so it was just, my mind was always, you know, on the task at hand at that point. If it was on the way to the track, I'm like, man, I want to go to that party. Once we got to the track, it was like, all right, it's time to execute and win. Yeah. And you, you talk about the commitment. I mean, I, I know it pretty well, I think, from a grassroots level as it relates to basketball and football and tennis. But I could only imagine that the commitment level, financially, but also your time and your focus and your attention, um, at what age did that start and what does that entail at an early age? You know, that's, that's a good question because I started racing in third grade um, and it was mostly on the weekends. And so you wouldn't really miss much schoolwork unless it was like a national event and you'd have to leave a little early. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was just a lot of, of time at the racetrack and focused on that. And all you would think about once it got to like Thursday and Friday, you were like, Oh, we're racing on Saturday, Saturday morning, you know, we're going out and, and competing. And so that's what I always kind of thought about going up through the ranks. And, uh, I remember I was on the, the track team in middle school. Um, and multiple times throughout practice, I lived a mile away from the school and the track is like right there on the main road. And you would see my trailer pull up and it's like, well, I got to leave practice to go practice. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, being committed uh, at that early of an age, you know, it was just a lot about how my parents brought me up and uh, told me what to focus on and, and what was important. Now, schoolwork was the main priority, you know, the whole time but they knew that racing was something special and that we could become something um, if we stayed true to both and, and make the most of every opportunity. And I know your mom was a, an athlete. Like when I was in third grade, I, every season, you know, I wanted to be a football player during football season and a basketball player during basketball season and get the Jersey and tell everybody that I would come into contact with, I was going to be an NFL player. Was it common to want to be a, a, a NASCAR driver in third, fourth grade in Charlotte when you were growing up? Uh, you, when you say you're from Charlotte and everybody's like, Oh, that's where NASCAR is. Right. And you're like, well, yeah. So I guess it's kind of common, but for me, it was very uncommon just because the way we got started just by going to watch a family friend, just sitting in the stands, it was just like, Hey, you want to try it? Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I, I know there's a lot of kids that get their start that way, but you know, for me, I didn't, I didn't think about NASCAR. I grew up 15 minutes from the racetrack. And didn't even care for it until I was at the truck level, really, at the K&N level. So that was when I was 16. So eight, seven, eight years later, you know, it's it's like, holy cow, this is this is I'm a doing this journey. Yeah, we're doing it. So like, it, it wasn't like people were like, "Yo, Bubba is uh, this guy's going pro," and everybody looked around school and knew you were that like the LeBron James of NASCAR race. No, it wasn't. It wasn't like that. At least I didn't see myself as that. It was just. I'm in this moment right now. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm going to make the most of the series that I'm in now. And that was it. It wasn't like, oh, you're, you're, you're going to be it. 
I think because no one really paid attention to NASCAR like that, uh, yeah. not in a negative way, but it was like, you go to your, your, your Friday night football games and you're like, Oh, he's that, that dude is going like, I went to school with, uh, uh, with Corey Seager, um, mm-hmm. plays for the Rangers now. Um, and Bradley Pinion, who I think is uh, the kicker for the Bucks, And you could see it, you know, when you'd go to a baseball game or a football game, you're like, oh, they're going. But yeah, but, but my, my group of friends, they never got to see me in my element. So you didn't really know. Yeah, totally. They, you, you, would just, you would just hear about it on, on what was it, MySpace or Facebook when it first came out back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was always a lot. The the individual sports is like that when you're growing up. You know, you hear about like that kid could really play tennis, or he's a he, he can really drive a car. But yep. it probably wasn't until you know it was real for people yep. where you grew up that it was real. Did you know the name Wendell Scott as a kid? Like, did you understand that importance early? Nope, I, I had I had no idea until I got to the official NASCAR ranks. And what was that discovery process? Uh, very humbling um, because I got to actually meet uh, Wendell Scott Jr. Um, when uh, 2008. So I was 14, 15 years old um, and got to meet Wendell Scott Jr. And, and I, I thought that really expedited the learning process and, and kind of understanding, you know, where the roots came from in, inside of our sport of NASCAR. And so taking time to, to talk with the family and get to grow with them and, and understand what their father's legacy was and their, his passion behind motorsports is, is pretty cool. So proud to be carrying that torch. And did you like, was the, um, did you know just at a young age, like the odds and, and the fact that there were not even a handful of, of black NASCAR drivers through the years and how, and, and, and it blew my mind and, and it shouldn't have to know just like still, up until you know a few years ago that the confederate flags and the environment and the culture that existed and to think that it was just on nbc on sunday morning and we're all sitting there watching it and people know about this and that this was happening did you get that that how impossible the odds were in front of you from that standpoint at a young age or did it not click yet no did not click yet and it still never did it this was more you know, when I was going to the racetracks, I'd see the flags. I'd be in the in the campgrounds, hanging out with people that could potentially be flying the flags, and we're we're hanging out, we're having a good time, we're we're pre gaming for the race, you know. And um, I'm not racing at that time, obviously. Yeah. Um, but the the idea of just being there and hanging out and not really bothering me. But I was always asked about diversity and how can we grow um, the sport. And when the pandemic hit. Uh, social media became the top priority in the world because you were sitting at home. That's all you were doing. And I would see let's just a lot of, of outreach about NASCAR and diversity and how it would never change because of the Confederate flag. And that was an avenue I never thought about because it didn't really affect me in a negative way. And I'm like, Hmm, well, let me, you know, unlock this a bit. And, yeah. and, and get a better understanding of what they actually mean. And, and seeing how, if it's one thing that makes a group of people feel uncomfortable that we can control, then why not, why not get rid of it? Yeah. And, and it's, and it's mind boggling that there's another group of people that will never understand that and will always hold a grudge against me, against NASCAR, against minorities, because they see it as one thing 
and it represents something else. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I so much of that was on full display over the last two years, and I think that's the most disheartening thing for all of us, right? And to tell you know the the youth, like, yes, literally, people don't like other people and want to do things purposefully to help and hurt hurt other people, and that's the way it is, you know. And I think that like all of us, and and, and you probably. In a, in a much more harsher way than most, had to see that in full display. And I think how you react to that is everything. And I think it was clear, you know, that you were, you were put on this earth, you know, to react and to respond gracefully the way you did. And I think it was really important for our whole society having you as one of those kind of faces and people to look to during, you know, what was one of just the most awful times of all of our lives, you know, a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, going back to your career a bit, um, what's that like when you when you turn pro? Does it feel like entering the NBA draft? Does it feel like, OK, I just played my first game? Like, do you remember that race like it was yesterday? Yeah, well, it's, it's different because what do you consider pro when you get to the cup level or when you get to any of the top three series? You know, it's, it's, so it's different. Um, you know, I well, you know what? Actually, will you educate me on it a bit? Because I think the NASCAR season in general, I'd love to understand like how that works and the point systems. Yeah. So, you know, for us, our season starts, we always said from Valentine's Day to Thanksgiving, basically. It's condensed a little bit now by a week or two. But um, but for us, it's it's high school ball. We call high school ball the truck series. We got college ball, collegiate ball um as the xfinity series and then pro ball as the cup level and so but we all compete on the same weekend friday saturday sunday sometimes double header on saturday um so it, you're always exposed to each three levels so if you want to call your first truck race going pro back in 2013 then you know that was daytona that was the biggest stage um going into it and it was like all right you know this is where it starts we got at that point the truck series is, is like 22 races Uh, The Cup Series is 36, and so um, it's a long season, but not as demanding as the Cup level. Um, And then, you know, fast forward to 2017 when I made my first Cup start. Like, that's – now you're at the top level, so I guess you can call that officially pro. Uh, Making my first start, you know, back at Pocono and knowing all the hype that was around, racing against, you know, uh, Jimmy Johnson. I remember a race there. And I, I come up the radio and I was like, dang, I'm racing against seven-time champ. Like, this is cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching the Sunday race as I was competing on Saturday. And yeah. so um, it's, just, it's just kind of bizarre to think about that now in, in, in hindsight. But, um, but yeah, that, that moment is something I'll always cherish. Um, just, you know, it felt like all eyes were on me because of my debut and my start yeah. What's, what's he going to do? All eyes are on me now because it's like he's the only African-American, which it's always been like that, but he definitely felt a different presence. Yeah. And when, and when, you, when you start, like, the, I, the resources needed to manage your team and your operation is a lot, right? So, like, when you're coming up as a racer it, and, and on the NASCAR scene, do you need managing, management and you have an agent? Do you have yep. – a team put in place. What's the infrastructure around like a racer uh, uh, starting and then where you're at this point in your life? Yep. I signed my soul away back when I was uh, <laughs> back 
five, seven. All right, what was it? Where are we? Twenty-two now. So about eight years ago, I signed my soul away. You know, got an agent, and they're representing me and stuff. And um, but you definitely got to have somebody. I mean, there's a few drivers that do it solo. And they represent themselves and read through the the contracts. And I'm like, dude, I can't even read a ten-page book. I get bored. I'm not going to read through a hundred-page contract. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's the same as. Um, as, as any other profession, you know, you, you, yeah. you have your, you have your people that represent you, uh, help you get sponsors, uh, help you scheduling and stuff. So it's uh, it's quite a process, but um, it all makes it work yeah. out. And then when you, and you race some races for the purse, right. And then do you get paid for some of your appearances the way like a golfer gets paid to appear at tournaments? Yeah, it, it definitely, uh, definitely can schedule that out. And that's, starts back at the contract phase of, of how we want to work it out. But, uh, the, the sponsors kind of run through the team. Um, and you, you get signed up to do X amount of appearances and whatnot. And, and there's, you have personal service deals that you can go out and represent for yourself. So there's uh, definitely a lot of moving parts to, to make the money. And I, and I read somewhere, it was just, just crazy that you didn't have the type of sponsor interest. The first, 12, 13, 14 years of your career as you yep. do now. Yep. Um, but not even interest. There was none, right? There was really nothing. And, and you just didn't feel that same kind of focus and attention on who you were as a driver. Do you think there was a reason for that? Who knows? You know, I, I was always trying to be different and just be fun and, and be, you know, not just your average cookie cutter NASCAR driver. You know, I was just always out there, balls to the walls, having fun. Um, and I, you know, I thought that that would attract sponsors and the results we were producing results. And, um, and it's just, you know, it's frustrating to, you know, at that time it was frustrating to go through those times, but you know, I was getting paid to race and paid to win. And that's, that's, that was what I was focusing on. And they always said, you know, you win one and sponsors will come. Well, I won about five or six and the sponsors never came. So, um, yeah. it's a little different, but. You know, now um, things are definitely in a good spot with, with money and, and sponsorship wise for, for, our, for my career and our race team. And so, you know, being partnered up with, with everybody at 2311, having MJ there is, is super cool and just very appreciative of it all. And you definitely don't take it for granted. It makes you appreciate those, those harder years because you get to enjoy these, these years right here. And, and I think it's, it's even, you know, more stressful now with the sponsorship um, just because you're representing big brands. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, starting in 2020 that some of the, like the love for racing or the love of the circus in and around it was lost a bit. And, and with that, does racing always give you that escape though, that maybe it did as a kid? I know again, to, you know, to relate it back to Kevin, we talk so much about like, regardless of what's going on in his life, when he hits that floor, it's his safe haven. Um, so I guess the, the two questions are like, has this and everything you've had to deal with and added to it, taken a little bit of the love of it away. And then once you're in that car, do you get to escape from it all? No doubt. Um, the best was being able to drive for Richard Petty, uh, my first three seasons in the cup, cup level. Um, and <clears throat> we'd, we'd sit there and just be chit chatting, chit chatting with the King, uh, <laughs> super cool. And he was like, you know, this part when we're doing appearances, him and I would go out to do an appearance together. And, um, he's like, you know, this isn't, or this is, this is the working part. Right. And I was like, Oh, no doubt. He was like, no one, no one can see it except for the drivers. 
but there's an imaginary switch on the back of our head that when we put the helmet on, it switches your mind off. Then you go out to go have fun on the racetrack. And I was like, yeah. there's, there's nothing more true than that right there because you know, this part, I enjoyed this, this part talking to you, but this is the working part. Yeah. You know, going yeah. out going beating on Sunday. Yeah. Ain't nothing thing. Yeah. It's fun. When I used to work at rock nation, uh, when Jay-Z would go into album mode, he, everyone would be like, Sean Carter's going away for a little while. And Jay-Z's going back in the phone booth. And it was like, yeah. don't bother him with any of those stupid little texts you were sending a few weeks yeah. ago. Check him back out. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's, it's, we have our moments where we're, in the moment and then we have our moments where we're in the zone and there's two different yeah. things You have the agent, which I totally get, that managing your life and your schedule and your sponsors. Where does the team sit in that? How does that team aspect come into play? I saw you were part of Richard Petty's team, and then obviously, like you mentioned, 2311, and yep. we'll get to MJ in a second. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a lot of moving parts that I am not a part of, thank God. Um, I just kind of get to hear about some of the, the, uh, the madness that scheduling has to offer, moving things around making sponsor appearances happen, dealing with COVID through everything. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's definitely, I don't know if I'm the best one to ask about it because I'm like, don't bother me unless, you know, <laughs> I got to you or yeah. I got to go racing, you know, all that stuff in between. That's what y'all get paid to do. So gotcha. I know, I know they, they're always constantly on emails. I hate emails, by the way, I'll get so many emails and I'm like, why are we emailing? Just send yeah. me a text because I don't check them, but it, it's, <laughs> It's, it's hard for me to be professional because I like to just have fun with everything. Oh, I get it. Emails are so stuffy and I'm like, just stop. Just yeah. Stop. <laughs> and I think at the end of the day, as long as you're doing what you're doing on the track and you know what you like and don't like and embody who you are, your team is, has to know how to fill, fill in the yeah. dots. But so the team, the manager is that team, that team, Richard Petty at the time and now 2311, they operate as your manager and your agent and they help your car and all of that. Oh, actually there's a, um, there's a, a actual separate, we have separate people that are my people that represent me that take, take my information. They handle my contracts to go back to the team and do okay. negotiate stuff with. So it's uh, we have our own company that does that. Well, not my own Got company. It. But Got it. So the team really operates like a team, like you were on a team, like that's the yep. team you're on. Got it. Well, yep. you're playing with MJ then that's incredible. That's right. And you, that's right. Great. Growing up. I, I, I mean, I bet it was Jeff, it was Jeff Gordon, it was Jimmy Johnson, right? It was those guys that were your favorite? Uh, I was actually Dylan Hart. Yeah, at that Dale time. Dylan Hart, and we lost him. So it kind of just naturally went to Dylan Hart Jr. Um, yeah. Because my family was, my parents were, were fans. And so I just kind of inherited that. Um, but I never really had a favorite driver as I got to the ranks. I was just always trying to see, you know, how to mimic other, other people yeah. a little bit. Um, but definitely Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon. Yes. You know what? Every time you ask a professional athlete who their favorite was, they either give you a different answer every time or they say they didn't have one. If you ask any like recreational athlete, they'll give you like, they'll tell you Massey Johnson, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, but you guys dead focused on you. That's the thing. It was never. That's a time it. For, yep. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I want to be, you know, myself and yeah. you know, uh, you know, when you were a kid, yeah. You know, like Dylan Hart Jr. But I didn't really watch. I didn't really, it wasn't like, 
you know, if I was, if, if, if he was my favorite driver, then you would think I'd be invested in, in watching every race. And it wasn't like that. No time. And I just, just didn't do it. Yeah. You didn't have the time. Yeah. Wait, how much was safety a concern for, for your mom and your family earlier? Cause you know, and when you mentioned Dale Earnhardt, that was one of those things that just affected everybody, not just the fan of the sport, but I, I know what your answer is going to be that you guys can't worry about that when you're racing, but the sheer like fear that your family must have embedded built in with watching you, I would imagine. Yeah, no, for sure. The best was, um, my mom's first race, um, that she attended to, we were, it was a race up in uh, Virginia. Um, and you know, some of the go-karts, um, they call them uh, flat carts. You don't have seat belts or anything. So if you hit hard enough, you can come flying out and, and land wherever. Uh, luckily, you know, there's the hits don't really happen like that and, and, and whatnot, but just so happens my mom shows up and it was actually the cadet class. So they're like four or five years old going 20 miles an hour. And my race was next up on the grid. And uh, we're a little bit faster. We're probably 30 to 40 mile an hour. Um, well, in the cadet race, a kid hits. And my mom watches the cart just run through the infield, through the oh grass, without the kid in it. The kid's on the racetrack. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm strapped in, you know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. hiding my time, be bobbing around. And my mom is like, oh, hell no. This ain't happening. <laughs> Luckily, no. my cart, uh, I was racing a, um, a champ cart, we call it. It had roll cage and seatbelts, so I couldn't come flying out. But it was just funny. Like, her first race was like, this is what happens. This is what happened. You coming home with me, Bubba. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but ever since then, you know, she she kind of – she's seen the, the ins and outs, uh, the ups and downs of, of what the sport can produce, the, the bad crashes, and, and knock on wood and thank the Lord that I've walked away clean every time. What are you on – like, what is the outfit that you guys have on that, like, fire doesn't affect yeah, you guys? Nomex, so we wear a Nomex layer, uh, single layer underneath, and usually our fire suits are, are double layer Nomex. So three layers, three layers of fire retardant protection is um, is what we use. And you feel you, safety is not even a thought. You don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Do you? Um, you know, it's funny when you drive. Like when you drive recreationally, mm -hmm. there's not a human being in the world that's not thinking about other things. Like you're driving, but you're thinking about everything yeah. else in the world, yeah. right? Yep. You cannot think about anything else for a split second. Is that right? Hey, or hey, no, you can. You got time. You'll you just know, start thinking about like what you have to do that week while you're in the middle of a race. Yeah, I remember Vegas. Um, Vegas this year, we had just swapped our crew chiefs over, uh, and I brought my crew chief from now on. And um, we always think about when we go out west. <clears throat> we get back so late. We get back. 3, 4 a.m., you know, and that's actually, you know, pretty sketchy when you get back that late after working all day and then driving home. Some people have to drive an hour home, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Luckily, I live a few minutes away from the airport here. Um, but um, I come over the radio during the race, I'm a green flag run, wide ass open. And, and they're like, I was like, I was like, man, we're gonna get back late tonight. <laughs> like, what? You need to focus on the race. I was like, hey, man, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Let's look at back That's, <laughs> I, could, I actually didn't think that was going to be your answer. That's amazing, man. Yeah, man. Do you wear, like, you wear, like, a whoop or any of those things, like, that test your, like, heart rate and what's happening while you're 
while you're raising? I have before. I don't do it um, religiously. Um, some people do. They wear it every weekend just to keep track. Um, but I may start, but don't really look into it. What kind of physical condition do you have to keep yourself in? Yeah, so right now I'm, I'm uh, currently in rehab. I had shoulder surgery. Uh, I had a rotator cuff and torn labrum uh, in the offseason. And so my workout regimen has been on hiatus, um, but all is well. Can, I'm, I'm good uh, with the shoulder. So um, usually I was three times a week, two, three times a week in the gym. Being with Toyota, they are big on um, helping you grow into yourself and become a better athlete. And they have a great facility 20 minutes from here uh, from the house that has gym, has, has everything you need to progress your uh, profession. Uh, inside motorsports so it's it's really cool they got uh a nutritionist they got you know physical therapists there they got trainers there i mean it's 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 perfect and it's free so i'll take it. I, it's amazing it's almost like what nike how nike commits to some of their hoopers you know to that level of commitment and support yep. i didn't realize toyota did that are they is that like what they're known for within the sport yeah toyota when they came in man they wanted to do it big and they, they, they would go all out. And their biggest thing is the youth. So it's actually more for um, the kids that are coming up through the ranks to get them ready. Because um, let's Kyle Bush, there's only five of us that are at the cup level. Kyle Bush, myself, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex, Christopher Bell, Kurt Bush now. Um, and Kyle and Denny have their own gyms at the house. Martin doesn't really want to work out. He just likes to go hunt and drink beer and go race. Um, um, myself and Christopher Bell are, are working out at the gym and Kurt, I think is now starting to work out there, but everybody under the, under that is, is like the, the high school ball level, the collegiate ball level, and even younger, they're out, they're out there working out and, uh, just getting their reps in and getting, you know, healthier and stronger. So it's cool. They're, they're definitely invested in, into the youth. What are some other like big time brands that are made a real commitment to either you or the sport? Uh, you know, the obvious is, is uh, McDonald's. They've, they've been with me for a few years playing a, a, a small part, starting out, you know, sponsoring some races and then jumping over with me to 2311 last year and continuing our, our relationship on. Uh, they're stepping up as being the primary sponsor this year. So super cool uh, representing their brand. Um, DoorDash, you know, them coming into a, a sport they have no idea about. Uh, a food delivery service was, you know, they're like, we want to sponsor Bubba. So bringing in a brand new sponsor is, is super dope. Uh, so they, they did a lot. They were the primary sponsor last year, uh, doing a lot this year. Um, let's see, you know, Dr. Pepper, uh, Root Insurance, you know, they, they're brand new. They, they're trying to figure this out. They, they seen me as, oh, he's different and we're different. And some of the stuff we've done has been bizarre and off the wall. And it's like, you know, this is my comfort zone. So we, we mesh very well. Um, Columbia, having them come in, it's, it's a perfect uh, area for them because of all the outdoor stuff that we can do and, and come up with ideas. So, you know, those five founding, you know, sponsors that have come a part of our deal is, is super dope and very appreciative of that. And we've even had more come in. Uh, we signed on Lidos, uh, which is a military defense company. Um, uh, DraftKings was on our car. We're doing with Wheaties. So the, the list goes on, you know, three years ago, I'd have been like, um, I don't, I don't know who, you know, I'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, um, in terms of the, 
sport, though. I, there was another thing in the doc you said, which was like, you know, after the George Floyd incident and obviously, you know, what you did on the track and everything that you had to deal with, you weren't going to let NASCAR just put out a press release. Um, you wanted to understand what the plan was. And none of this stuff that's been so broken systematically and is still still sprinkled with so many people that aren't going to change is going to happen overnight. But do you feel like there's starting to be changed within NASCAR? Do you see their commitment to a more diverse environment and culture? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. And I think that's definitely at the top of their list uh, besides this next-gen car is, is diversity and inclusion within, within our sport and, um, and how to be better. And so for me, being on the diversity board that we have created uh, is super cool. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on and, and how to make things work. Uh, um, it's, it's definitely been a humbling experience and proud of everybody, proud of the effort. Steve Phelps has been leading the organization. Um, of NASCAR, he's the president, and so he's been, you know, putting his best foot forward each and every day and trying to make this a better place. And we've had those heart-to-heart -heart talks, and you know, I, I told him, you know, uh, you know, with everything that's going on, man, you can't, you can't just come out and be like, we don't stand for that. Like, nah, that ain't gonna fly. You know, we, we we've got to, you know, put procedures in place and put the correct people in place to uh, execute these procedures and and uh, to make sure that we are continuing to make this this world of, of NASCAR a better place for everybody. Yeah. I'm just going to keep plugging away at your doc. I'm going to have to tell the streaming service. You tell ESPN <laughs> to throw me something. But there was another scene that was amazing, really touching when your mom asked you to turn around and look at the stands and see that the staff that was cleaning up were all African-American and that there was still so far to come and that you were in a community that was predominantly African-American, yet the fans were filled with none except for people working there. And, you know, I think that commitment is going to take also a very long time. But do you yeah. think and do you see a little bit of a change in, in your audience? Do you feel any of it yet? Or is it just such a long road? Uh, it's just it's a, it's a long road. It's a lot of work. Yeah. For me, the best thing to do is go out and win races. And that's how people are going to either right up. Everybody hates, you know, once you win, you get to a certain point of winning, everybody starts to hate you. It's it's a weird trend that happens in sports. Uh, yeah. For, then they love you again, though. Yeah. Then they, when you retire, you're like, oh, you were the best. It's yeah. like, all right. <laughs> yeah. um, but for me, it's just go out and compete and do the best that I can and get the results. And and if they want to be a part of the journey, then come on, doors wide open. I you know it's true. It's I people think it's I, I bet you people listening think that's cliche from athletes, but it's not. It's actually the most like comforting answer that every athlete can give at least the ones that are in the rare air like yourself you know where you you know what you can rely on the only thing you can control is the work you put in and what you do and you know what comes from winning and you know yep. you can't control everything else and it's actually a powerful answer because a lot of times people give you a bit more or, or elaborate on what they want to do and, and it's, yep. it's 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 meant well but the truth is like you know, you really want to focus on what you know, how you can control the environment. And I think that's like, you know, that's a tell of a great athlete. Um, what's next for you? Like where, how, how long do you race for? Do you want your own team at the end? Um, you know, what are some of the goals in front of you? You're still so young and, yeah. you know, you carry so much weight on your shoulders that you didn't necessarily ask for. Um, yeah. But what's in front of you? I think just becoming more competitive and becoming a household name on the racetrack. You know, I'm definitely one of the top two household names uh, on uh, off the track, and it's uh, 
and I want to balance that out because there's such a disconnect between off track and on track. And you, you got to, um, for me, that's, that's my main priority is bringing, is bridging that gap is without yeah. result and consistency and stuff. So it's the athlete and me coming out and being like, I want to be better, um, and, and do better. And so it takes a lot of hard work for me and my team, but, uh, looking forward to it. All right, man. Well, I am too. I appreciate it. Um, you know, my favorite racer as a kid, Daryl Waltrip, randomly. You know, you just somehow you, yeah, it was just random. I always loved Daryl Waltrip, but uh, you are my guy now, one thousand percent, man. And um, I, I watched your doc closely. I know the stuff you've gone through with your family. I can relate yeah. uh, on so many levels. And you know, you, like I said earlier, you've come out of all of it very gracefully and on top of your sport. And we're all rooting for you, man. Appreciate that, brother. It means a lot. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Yes, sir. Take it easy. Peace. Later. Smooth for 92.